When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is part two of the Mark Bonner NTT20 interview special. George and Mark on part one spoke about the Cambridge United story. Mark managing 200-odd games as Cambridge United manager over best part of four years, uh, one promotion uh, and a pretty famous FA Cup run as well. That's all in part one. As for my role within this uh, interview series, uh, I'm going to ask Mark a lot of different questions about football management. Mark, it's a hard job, ridiculous job security compared to any other job, pretty much. Uh, difficult expectations and constant judgment, a uh, large percentage of which comes from people that often have no idea what they're talking about. So which part of the job, after four years of doing it, is the best part of the job? Which part most appeals to you and you're clinging on to when you think about doing another 30 years of it? I absolutely love the training ground day to day. It's, it's brilliant it's such a good atmosphere it's where you can get your work done it's where there is less pressure um, match day on big days is like amazing when the when the good ones happen it's incredible um, but it's obviously the most stressful one it's the day on stage if you like but the rehearsal if, throughout the week is 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 excellent I think when you're a coach who likes to try to develop a style or a team or um, analyze games when when that's what you're doing for for your living and you you're doing it with like-minded people that, that's a that's a brilliant thing to do so I love that um, pre-season is the best time of the year it's where you get nice weather and uh, no restrictions on your time and the games are just a process towards getting ready for something and the spotlight is a lot less um, and everybody in the beginning is happy to be back at work and you haven't had to drop anyone yet and it's <laughs> a lovely time of year and then the real stuff starts but that's what you do it for it's great um, but but yeah I love the process of how do you get to match day how do you get to match day hopefully ready for it and hopefully prepared for it um, knowing that the the other team are doing exactly the same thing as well it's, it's, it's a, an exciting challenge um, the relentlessness of the season is you have to do it 55 60 times and that is not easy that is really difficult it's why people perform well and don't it's why I, I, I think form is you know I, I would say I had good form and bad form periods where I was doing really well and not so well and I think that's just a human thing um, that can be impacted by results confidence um, circumstances uh, situation away from from the game it's just all those things are normal and, and um, trying to see that coming and manage that is um, is a real good challenge for you what does winning feel like I love winning possibly more than anything 
I think I love winning more than I hate losing, but you often hear the opposite from professional sports people. For you, what does winning feel like? Yeah, I'd probably say the opposite. And this is a sad truth of it, really. Winning's a bit of a relief um, because losing's so bad and the impact of it can be like just torture for however long until you, you're back in the game again. Um, when you win and it doesn't feel like that, that's a, a relief. Relief is a positive emotion. Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you don't get to feel it for very long because quite often you've got a game coming around again. The, the, the best wins are if you win on a Saturday and you haven't got a game to the following Saturday. You get to enjoy that for like a good 24 hours. Um, whereas quite often in, in the lower levels, you, you're playing a game Tuesday and like you instantly you have 10 minutes after the game and then you're like right what we do next what's the next game where are we with that so I think that's a relentless schedule that you have to cope with and deal with um and that and that I think is understanding why being able to maintain the level of consistency is is why it is like it is um but it's certainly an amazing amazing feeling when you win and and you can't get away from the fact that this is just normal motivation going into games or after games um some wins are are better than others they feel better because they're they're more important or they're against a certain team or they're in a certain competition um or the context of the game just made it feel like something really special and that i think is part of the fun you go to a game with an idea of or, or an idea of what you'd like it to look like and so often it can take a hell or sometimes it can be very disappointing and sometimes it can provide you something that you just didn't see coming and i think that's the beauty of it managing people in this instance, in, in a footballing context, that's managing, let's say, 25 players, but probably more than that. That means managing your staff, the support staff around you. That means managing upwards, dealing with your bosses and those at, at board level. Of course, the fans as well. I think we'll come on to relationship with fans later on. But just in terms of the, the management of the other people around you at the club, how much of that is instinct and in you trusting yourself and your skills that you developed before you get that job and how much actually are you planning and strategizing putting an arm around one player or putting a rocket up another player how much of that do you plan for and how much is just close your eyes and see what comes out yeah no i think some of it's planned for sure some of it is planned because you know it's coming or you've got a um follow up on a conversation or reacting to an event in a game or whatever, you know someone needs a little bit of your time. Sometimes you can leave people quite a while. They don't need any any assistance. Um, and actually, I don't think that's... I don't think that is um, dependent on age. Some some need more attention than others, just regardless of their age, really. So I think you try and get to know people as quickly as possible. Trying to spend time with those not in the team is is equally as important and that's a, always a challenge with time um, to make sure you get around everyone and help those that need it most. And and by the way, like you, you probably miss the target more times than you hit it because in the end, in my mind, I have an idea of, right, I'm going to speak to this player about this and this is how I'm going to deal with it. But that person, I've got to try and tee that person up that they're ready to listen to it. I'm hoping they're ready to listen to it now and I hope they accept it my way and I hope it sounds to them as it was intended by me and and like that is really difficult because sometimes you just take things differently or in the wrong way so I think that's just a constant cycle of getting it right getting it wrong you've got to get it right more times than you get it wrong and and that's just relationships isn't it so you're trying to do that with countless numbers of people that are constantly on this emotional journey um that are coming from different ages different backgrounds it's it's really hard that is the toughest bit and and the biggest challenge i bet um, when you're in good form it feels like all the conversations go great 
And when you're on poor form, it, it feels like they're sort of sticky somehow. Not yeah, quite and getting... if, you, if you're in good form, you've just got your sort of flow in your performance and it just happens, you know, like you can go into game, you can go between games and you don't need to overthink things too much. You just play and you just, you, you back yourself that you go into a game going well and you're probably really confident that you're going to win games. You have a real conviction about the way you've got, you've got real recent evidence of what we're doing is working. Um, and, and so on. So that is certainly an easier period to manage in. And, and certainly a little bit of that comes down to just keeping people focused and on track. That it's easier to manage there than, than being in crisis management mode, for sure. Um, but it's a, it's a constant challenge and it's cyclical. So it just goes round and round and you never know where you are next. And you can go into work thinking this is the day and it can very quickly turn into something else because something goes on or happens that forces it to be different. It's a... It's a brilliant challenge. You try and prepare for as much of it as you can, but it's a very much, a, you've got to react to things quite quickly. And, and I think sometimes when you're in clubs that have smaller resources, whether those for challenges come for the facilities or the, the whatever, they can be anything. Um, those challenges come quite often. Yeah. Communication with, with players is something that fascinates me. I mean, how do you balance being empathetic and soft to an extent and authoritative. I, I, I really need you to do this and I, I might have to be strong to get the message across. I think it just comes down to how you do it and when you do it. Um, in the end, if you build a good relationship, I, I believe if you build a good relationship or you've got a good relationship with somebody, they know that you actually care about them. They know that you're fairly consistent in the way that you um, behave. Then I think in the right way, you can say anything to them and they'll accept it because they know that won't be held as a grudge and the next day you see someone you, it's just normal so um being tough on people being hard demanding standards if you don't do that that you you can't win and if you're not willing to accept that you won't you won't be a top performer these guys don't get to this level by being weak and soft um there is an element of resilience to all everybody's story and it's trying to find that out and work out what motivates people really quickly i think being assertive and aggressive and direct is really key and really important i think sometimes players want that they want to know really quickly what do you want me to do to get in the team what do i need to do to win because everyone wants to be successful and then the second side of that is you have to hold people to account. Like There has to be an, a level of accountability. You just have to be really clear on, they've they got to know what they're being held account for. I, I, if you do this, this will happen. We need you to do this to get in this team. And therefore, if you know what you're aiming for and you know what the outcomes are or the desired outcomes are, you can then review against that. If it's a little bit in the wind and you're just picking one thing to the next, then it becomes a little bit too random and try to not be overly emotional and sometimes emotion is really important and it can be used more to, to create that mood is, is, is key but I think if you build a good relationship with someone you can say anything to them in the right setting um, and, and I think that the assertiveness and the aggression behind a message or the accountability is really really important but certainly there is a, a, a and I, I also think this is right um, people expect to be treated properly and with some respect and as a human and I uh, What's wrong with that? Like I do too. So um, I think that the the days of a, of a hierarchy um, are probably lessening a little bit. But actually, the ability and will and desire to work together is that is probably really strong. So we've got to get to work on finding out how to do that well. I like tactics. I like to try and work out what what managers are trying to do. When it comes to football tactics for you, how naturally does it come to you? How clear are footballing tactical pictures in your mind? I think I think um, they become clearer the more you do it. 
the ability to see a game at the speed that it's happening um, just improves over time. And and certainly, I, I could even say, in the difference of the two leagues that I've managed in, it was a more tactical and faster game when we moved into League One than than it was in the promotion season. Um, in League Two, so that doesn't mean that that's a, that's always the case, but it certainly was the case, and I recognised that difference straight away. Plus, the impact of the the crowds on games probably played a part in the um, the tempo of games, probably. Um, so, so I love that challenge of of seeing that and and trying to find the challenge between like you got to find the tactical plan that wins you the game, you got to find a way of managing the team that wins you the game, you got to create the synergy between everyone and everything to try and win the game. It's a huge challenge. Um, and I like the tactical side of the game in terms of trying to work out right, what's the next trend, what's happening at the top level, what's becoming the latest thing. And you think back over the last decade and the trends that we've seen, we've seen so many different things and the game is changing all the time. Um, and and that's, that's quite interesting to see. And usually what happens at the top level finds its way throughout the leagues and throughout the levels. So it's trying to work those those little bits out whilst also understanding there'll never be one way to win a game. There's lots of ways of winning a game. There's lots of models that can be successful um, and changing from one thing to the next can also be a success. So I don't think there is one rule fits all, um, but trying to find a way for, in the end, the team that you're taking to make them successful is really important. And quite often coaches get boxed in a certain area of, oh, his teams play like this. Um which might be the case if they've had multiple jobs and they just take that model everywhere, that might be the case. Or it might be that the, the, the actual job is with the resources you have and the players you have at your disposal, you haven't got the ability to sign anyone you want. You haven't got the ability to have multiple windows because you might have a short period of time. Very quickly, you've got to make this team win. How are you going to do it? There's a, there's a different scenario there. And therefore, you can play a certain way and develop a certain way that might not be actually your utopian way of playing football, but in the end, find a way to win because... If you don't win enough games, you're sat on a Tuesday talking on podcasts rather than taking <laughs> training sessions. <laughs> point taken, point taken. I mean, that's going to be an interesting aspect uh, for you going forward, isn't it? Is uh, if and when you decide to get back into the game and apply for jobs and interview for jobs, um, as, as we understand after a, a podcast with Omar Chowdhury a few months ago, you know, the, the interview process, a, a lot of clubs now at EFL level will be doing quite a lot of due diligence, particularly when it comes to uh, measuring a manager's style of play using data points. And the only way you can do that is by looking at the teams that they've managed in the past and working out a style of play based on various metrics. So um, it, it, it'll be an interesting one, given what you've just said in terms of you uh, explaining or describing, because I'm sure you'll be asked what your game model is, what your footballing philosophies are, and then being able to explain maybe aspects where it might not be flagged up in data because, well, you've got to worry about the week to week as well. Yeah, and a little bit of it is determined by the team that you're taking, the, the history and culture of that team or club of have they got something that's quite embedded and has gone from one manager to the next? Um, what are players that they've got in there at the moment and their super strengths and how are you going to get the best out of those? Um, I think every manager has a real simple set of or a set of principles that they would try and judge their game by and I certainly would have that. Um but I also think that good coaches can kind of coach anything. That's the, that's the point, really. And, and of course, you'll have a bias towards certain things and what you'd like to see. Um, but you've got to find the way that works in the moment to, to win games. And um, 
if you get some like Cambridge I, I took over a team that was at a really bad moment um, and we made ourselves really hard to beat really defensively well organised we just lost to consecutive games 4-0 at home um, make sure we've got counter-attacking options and no one can create a chance against us mm-hmm. now, now that went well and then <laughs> you end up thinking right okay well lots of these players are under contract or this is a situation of right we've got to build on that success and little by little you add to it and I think where we ended up was trying to evolve again to the next stage and trying to transition from one style or start to edge towards different styles is very difficult to do when you're in situ and you haven't got huge resource to do it um but we also thought like right, we can't just be a sit on the edge of the box counter-attack team all the time. That, that ain't going to be enough. There's too many teams dominating the ball. There's too many teams that have got ways of hurting you to do that. So we're going to have to become better with the ball. We're going to have to try and have possession for longer, which we started to do a little bit. But you can get stuck between two styles in in trying to be a bit more of a build-up team. You can become too slow and lose actually the direct threat that you had. And that's the transition that we're going through. But the simple thing is if you want to change something, or you want to develop, it takes time which very few people want to give you and it's usually painful it usually goes wrong before it goes right um and and it's trying to convince people that that's that's what it is if you want to get better quickly um probably do it with change in terms of personnel um but if you want to develop something over time it does take time and it takes resource to do that so there's a challenge there and there's a challenge of obviously me trying to um, sell myself but I do think the game model is one thing when you go into a, any interview process I think personality is important um, and the way in which you represent yourself and your club is important I think um, points records is important I think points against budget is important I think there's lots of things that can make up a decision making process within a uh, trying to show people what you can do but certainly the emphasis towards clubs developing game models the introduction of more data and analytics throughout football they are trends that aren't going away they're only going to continue to grow as as people try to get a a club way if you like and i, and I think that's a, a healthy change let's play a fun game of hypotheticals if you were to join a club uh that let's say was one with one of the strongest budgets in its league and expected to challenge for promotion and because this is the dream scenario also had a squad that was pretty balanced you know no obvious gaps this is this is a team that has some wingers has some fullbacks that can play wing back has well stocked at center back as well uh, strikers it's got enough of them do, do you have a strong idea of how a bonner team like that would look would it be Three at the back, would it be four, three, three? Can you explain that to us? Yeah, look, I think there's a few things that come into that. Um, number one is, I think one of the, the more common trends now is more about principal position and space than it is formation. So I think you see teams that are almost playing hybrid systems that press with certain numbers, um, build with certain numbers, and it's not necessarily... Um, formation dependent it took quite a long time in league one for people to work out what kieran mckenna's ipswich team were doing yeah are they are they four two three one or are they three four three or what are they um because the, the truth George was, argued about it a lot. in certain situations yeah. they were one and in other situations they yeah. were others and the reality is whatever formation you play if you press pause on the game that it looks different at different times so i think f- firstly is the context is king in everything we can have a real idea of this is what it is um 
more often than not, if you go into a club, you're you're going into something that hasn't achieved what it should do. Um, and therefore, it's how quickly can you make a difference if it's in season? Um, what are the players that are the best players that are under contract there? What what are their strengths? I think I think the job is build a team, a really successful team, as best you can out of the players that you've got. So whilst on some senses that's that's sitting on the the fence. Um, there are elements of the game that will never go away. I would, I would want my team to try and win the ball back as high as possible. I would want my team to be able to um, dominate the ball. I would want my team to be unbelievable in counter-attacking situations that gets to goal really quickly when they regain the ball. And I'd want us to be really hard to create a chance against. Now, you can do that in any system that you want. And depending on the players that you've got or the team you're playing in any moment, one might be more important than the other or two might and so on. So I think really flexible is, is important. I think having some real principles about how you go about those things is key. But the system that you use is probably dependent on the players that you've got or the ability that you've got to bring in other players. In the end, I think it's about at the levels that I would probably be getting opportunities, how quickly can you make this team better and win us games? Um, and there is still a trend of, as long as you're winning, some people aren't so worried about what it looks like. Um, well, and scoring actually, goals always looks good. Right. And actually now, <laughs> winning isn't always enough. It's got to be a certain way. So there is a there is a pressure all the time. I think in the end, winning's your starting point and finding a way of getting the best out of the players that you've got to win is important. So I would have an idea of how I'd want that to look, but it would be very dependent on, I think, the players that you've got at your disposal. Yeah, you get. we often get messages from people saying that extreme possession-based teams uh, really bore them. They find them really boring to watch, but equally that those at the other end of the spectrum who play a high percentage of, of long passes can be very bad to watch as well. And you just think, well, I actually think the most important thing is here, if a team is taking a lot of shots and scoring goals, it's pretty fun, whichever way they're doing it. And if, But very specifically, if they're not, yeah. if it's an extreme possession-based style, but for whatever reason they can't get decent shots and score goals, that is really boring to watch. But a team that pumps it and can't, get any opportunities as well that's pretty bleak too yeah and look we live in a world of you have to be one extreme or the other nowadays you have to be far this or far that and you can't be in the middle and just say do you know what i want a little bit of everything in this team i want to I want it to be entertaining i want it to win um what do you but I don't think, think I, need, I don't think it needs to be an extreme version of either yeah george and i have, have discussed a lot recently the kind of what we for want of a more exciting name have called the kind of mixed style of play which is almost trying to achieve what you're talking about. And and the team that I'd bring up that I know you'll have managed against last season is uh, Plymouth Argyle, who in League One, it struck us that they were pretty happy to build from the back where necessary, but also they got a load out of being perfectly happy to go long as well and, and use Hardy's movement and pace. They had that rotating cast of strikers where they always made two subs at 60 and just kept you know high intensity. But to me, that was a bit of a mixed style where, you know, if you sat back against them, they had the technical quality and the patterns broadly to play through the thirds, but actually really benefited from bringing teams onto them and then going longer and, and, and being good at doing that too. Yeah, I think a little bit of that is what, what players you've got. But also, this is an invasion game. 
It's about getting to the other end and you can get there in different ways. It's about trying to find a spare man and create an overload somewhere so you can hurt people or just playing where the space is. So if a team drops off, you can't go beyond them quickly. And if a team plays high, you can. And and I think it's about coaching decision-making for having the options for lots of those things. And on a given day, depending which team you're playing against, it may change in terms of how you do that. You know, the, the Cambridge team that we had had most, most success um, in the days where we could be really compact defensively and counter-attack against the possession-based teams. When we had teams that dropped off against us and we were the dominant force with the ball, we didn't quite have the quality or idea or identity of how we were going to unlock that and we found that difficult. Um, but that was what we were going to try to build and, and have next because no two games always look the same and um, that there is a room for every kind of pass in football if it gets you to the goal that scores you one. And um, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't be overly obsessed by one style because for me it's it's um, playing where the space is that gives you a chance of creating a chance and scoring a goal and winning the game and, and, and so on. There's also that aspect of you know, long passes became started to be sort of looked down on as you know long balls as they're called or you know, aimless hoofs. It's always categorised as if it's aimless. Whereas if you have a centre back who is really good and accurate with long passing, like that's that should be celebrated. You should make the most of that. Yeah, that's not and, aimless. And there, there can be an aimless one, and and <laughs> that that deserves criticism. Um, but at the same time, I think sometimes it depends which manager's team's doing it and which which players doing it. Because in the end, that Man City are an amazing team at building and playing from the back. But I watched them score a goal where the goalkeeper went eighty yards over the top of the centre halves. They went through De Bruyne, Haaland scored, and that was like praised as amazing. And you just go well come on, he's played where the space was and he's just played a long pass. Like, just because no one's seen it anymore and it's them, it's amazing. But other teams, it wouldn't be seen as amazing. There's lots of ways of winning. There's lots of ways of doing it. The great thing is people at different styles win things. Um, that will keep the debate going forever. There isn't a right and wrong. There can be a right and wrong for a certain club or a certain team or a certain group or a certain era. Um, but in the end, there's lots of ways of doing it and um, you've got to try and find your way. How much did you... Would you, will you focus on the opposition when coming up with individual match plans? We, we understand that there's analysis teams within clubs now and they do work on the opposition. They, they want to, you know, you're going to want to highlight the main threats, any weaknesses. Um, to what extent does that form part of your individual match plan? Yeah, very much and sometimes too much. Um, and and because you think sometimes, right, we need to show them X, Y, Z and you can make an opposition look and feel amazing. Um and better than they are sometimes. And, and and likewise, then other times you'd say, well, we don't need to show so much of this and you could have done. And you always go into a game assuming the other team are going to do something. And if they turn up and do something else, then it can be really difficult. But I think the, I think the key bit really is being really clear what you are, um, showing and relating everything to yourselves as much as possible and making it about you with an idea of the opposition and not leaving the players guessing what's coming so they get some sort of idea with, with an ability to make decisions on the pitch, reviewing against yourselves quite often uh, and having a real conviction about that and getting that balance right is, is tough. Um, sometimes the time between games is very short and the ability to get on the grass and give information can be quite small. Um, but I've had, I've had situations where we've shown loads and it's worked or has, and then hasn't and where we've shown not a lot and it has and hasn't worked because 
I guess there is not one formula that works. If there was, everyone would do it. So you make the call in the right moment. But um, I would personally, definitely now, probably edge towards more us than the opposition. But I, I think there is a, a real place for that because um, that can dictate the way in which you play. And if you're fairly fluid in the numbers you build with or press with, for example, then, then I think you certainly need to... Put the players on the pitch, clear what you want from them, but have an understanding of what's coming from the opposition as much as possible. You mentioned data in football very much, being here to stay now, um, both, well, in all, basically all aspects of the game. Uh, specific to you, being a football manager, I mean, how open are you to using data and in which scenarios would it be focusing on team performance analysis, looking at your own team? Is it something that you can use looking at opposition? Probably get into recruitment afterwards, but I guess... You know, where are you at in terms of thinking, yes, this is really helpful to me and here's why and how it can be helpful to me? Yeah, so we've used different platforms to, for, for different ends and different means um, throughout different periods of time. And I think it's, you know, the access to data is there. Um, the amount of data is huge and only going to grow, continue to grow. And therefore, why tying into a certain game model and having some consistency about the way you play is going to be really important to aid recruitment and to really analyse the data so it's not just a set of numbers, but there are trends that you can spot and, and so on. Um, I think I would always be of the the mindset that it needs to inform, not dictate, um, and be another sort of... Uh, element of your armory to try and have something to lean on. I think that can be really important. I think it can judge your own performances game to game or just in line with your objectives. Um, it can certainly help individual profile players, your own. Are they hitting the mark as you want to? And therefore, when you recruit, are you recruiting in line with someone that fits your style? And um, certainly not something that I have used to full effect um, because I think it's still people learning about it. It shouldn't be the football manager, to be clear, who's doing the searches themselves. No, no, <laughs> in no. a dream world. And, and, and certainly, you, you want um, there is so much access to the data now. That the key bit is um, picking the right numbers, picking the data that matters, and that can influence and make a difference. And then, in the end, teams of people doing that and informing the coach to to use that to the best of their ability. So, I, I think in the smaller clubs, it's hard to have the resources to do everything in terms of people or, or just the, the cost of such platforms. However, um, I do think that it is a growing trend and it's going through the leagues quite quickly. Those that have early adopted are, are doing very well with, with it. And it's definitely, like as I look at it, I just think, well, it's not going anywhere. I need to inform myself even more on this and become greater and better at using it um, or, or making sure that it exists in the club I'm at so that I can be as fully informed as possible. Because in the end, if you're not doing something someone else is, there's a performance advantage there that you're missing out on. So I'm all, I'm all for it and um, increasing the ability to learn about it and using more than we have. But in the past, we've used bits, but probably not to its full effect. How annoying is it when your team's doing really well and the underlying XG numbers don't suggest that the team is playing to a dominant level when you are, for example, towards the top of League Two for a whole season, win promotion from that division, achieve everything that you set out to achieve in, and probably more, in fact, in the most glorious of circumstances. And cer certain people are saying, well, that felt a bit unsustainable what they were doing there. You know, if you look at these metrics, well, actually, this isn't a particularly sustainable way, way to continue winning. 
Well, the medal says otherwise. So um, interestingly, like that stuff doesn't really bother me because if you do get wrapped up in everybody's viewpoint, I think you have to keep very close the circle of people whose opinions you take. Otherwise, you listen to way too much and there's too much going on. And actually, the job of everyone around you is to filter it out and give you the key stuff. So knowing that the temperature and what people are saying and the statistical data behind your team, that's really important. And you use that to however however you, you want to. But um, certainly, there are teams that can buck trends uh, our promotion team did that, no, no question. Um, but we weren't chasing XG and we weren't chasing um, satisfaction from anyone that was like, it was for us, it was like, let's do what we do. And um, sometimes there can be a real trend there that is unsustainable. And sometimes it can be very contextual to the game. And is your XG above the opposition more often than not, then fine. Or um, is the context of the game that we were an excellent counter-attacking team that set a mid-block and defended great, got ahead in games, invited teams onto us. That did mean that our XG was low because we were a low creation team, but we won enough games. In fact, 24 out of 46 and... Um, scored a lot of goals with a plus 24 goal difference that got us there. So um, there are certainly parameters or, or statistics that you need to look into to guide your principles and you need to come out on top with more often than you can, than, than you don't, sorry. But it wasn't something that I would really get too engaged yeah. in and too involved in, to be honest. We've noticed a trend in the last few years of uh, managers often in, in press conferences or post-match interviews who now will actually directly reference XG almost always to say, if you look at the XG, we're actually, we're performing well and we're just not quite either getting the rub of the group. We're not quite executing in both boxes. So you do something, you know, it has now become kind of part oh, of the absolutely. And, and obviously you don't, you, you never hear us roll out the statistics that prove otherwise or go the opposite <laughs> way. But in the end, you, the, the job now is like you're defending yourself more often than not against people that want to tell you you're not doing a good job. And it takes some human to not bite and, and to not respond in some way to that. So in the end, when you know you're probably three games from a crisis always, um, you have to try to manage the mood and the expectations of people as often as you can. And you've you got to get that balance right between being honest, by protecting your team, by telling the truth. But by also like defending yourself sometimes, that is a really difficult task when someone wants to speak to you 10 minutes after a horrible game. <laughs> yeah, you get tough questions 10 minutes after the game. You may or may not become aware of fan-based disgruntlement, which can take many forms and some of it can be horrendous. Some of it slightly less strong, but still presumably negativity can be difficult to know about, experience and could to uh, a certain character myself for example affect like confidence and potentially performance i personally still eight years in find it quite difficult when we get tweets that i think are mean-spirited or unfair or just don't have the full picture in mind that is multiplied by a million when you're a football manager and, and sometimes on the next podcast i will have it in the back of my mind it's there even though i want to say i can ignore it it is there. So um, how strong do you have to be as a manager? I think you're inhuman if you don't get influenced or affected by that. And that, like, usually you'll know because people will tell you in the stadium. You, usually you'll get a pretty good idea if people are happy or not happy. And that's fine. Like, that is absolutely part of it. Like, we've all been the fan that does it. That is just like part <laughs> of the experience. Yeah. So um, there's no problem with that. I think the, the difficult bit now, and, and this is where I feel probably, I think, it's, I think it's harder than ever to be a public facing person in any industry yeah. because everyone has an opinion and a voice and a platform to tell you what they think. Um, 
people are more informed so it's a more informed opinion in a lot of cases and in some cases it's just angry people saying what they want and sometimes it's just people trying to get a nibble and a bite out of somebody because it makes them laugh and, and whatever so I do worry sometimes that that players can get a bit roped into that and, and seeing you know like it makes you feel good if people say good things about you. Mm. But it, you could read through a Not chain... Not to the same extent, though. <laughs> no, exactly. If you, like you if could you read get... a chain of 50 messages, and if there's yeah. w- the one negative one sticks out, yeah. we're wired to see that for some reason. Mm. And the more we think about it, the bigger it gets. It's like it's amplified even more. So yeah. I find that a really tough challenge to, to deal with full stop. And then you get the extreme stuff, like, I don't know, the, the worst periods that we've had where I had to change my phone and I had to change my email account and everything at the club because you're just getting like abused by someone who's really angry and you just think oh mate come on I don't want to wake up Sunday to an email or something like where you're getting absolutely peppered and you just think some of the vitriol that you hear is actually a disgrace you'd never say it to someone's face but there is an ability to say it online now so that's just wrong but you also have to feel a bit sorry for the person sending it first and then just go okay no problem like crack on I'm not going to let that one influence me and um move on quite quickly so the 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 bit of the day-to-day stuff the social media stuff can be quite um powerful on on i think players in in the end like i I used the social media as a point to advertise certain things for the club or the community and things but over time my usage of it i was off it for a year really not not seeing anything which is a bit of a shame really because there can be some good stuff on there and other times it is anti-social media last question the old um, post-match beer with the opposition manager, is that still a thing or do people need to get back now? No, it is at our level. Um, I, I speak to a few at the top level and I don't think it happens as much now at all. And and part of that, I think, is um, probably just not as tight relationships as once was. And part of that is probably just media demands doing 19 interviews after a game. Yeah. Is, is probably well, I was going to say, you must have to almost like build it into your schedule and the away team have to build it into them whenever they're busting nah, the, right? the, the truth is like lads take ages to get showered and changed and pack up the changing room so um you get your interviews done and then you try and get into the office and very very few times where it didn't happen um and and actually sometimes like that can be a horrible moment because usually one manager's fuming so sometimes it's a conversation about referees or really standard about what's your training week next week and just normal stuff and and as much as possible I always try to make it just not about the game just chat about something random for 15 minutes have a couple of beers have a laugh if you can um and and that's the bit of the job's really serious but don't take yourself too seriously you know like um those must be quite nice moments when they go, you know, when they go well. Yeah, when they, when they go well, it's a nice moment. But you then have to show some empathy towards the manager who's coming in, who's who's not um, feeling great. Um, and then there's moments where I'm thinking, oh, we've just lost five uh, nil at Hillsborough, and I've got to go and see Darren Moore for a beer. And I'm thinking, yeah, he's a lovely bloke, but I don't want to go in there right now. But in you the end, probably you enjoyed do. the beer at Hillsborough after you'd won on Sky, though. Didn't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Well, you got so so in the end, you go into the room and have the beer and crack a bit of joke and thank them for destroying your team and and then you get on the bus and are miserable for the rest of the journey but I think things like that are important you get a a little um, bit of time to be normal and have some camaraderie with each other because there are very few people that understand how tough the job is I think unless you've done it and therefore any time you get to spend with each other is is quite important well you said to George in episode one part one rather that you uh, you're enjoying your time off at the moment but uh, we certainly hope that there'll be a time uh, sooner rather than later where you may be managing a, an EFL club where we may be questioning your XG and uh, <laughs> where you might be enjoying some beers post-match with some opposition managers top man thank you very much